Well, well recorded. The screenshot seems to be blood. From the Washington Post, said it was a day ago, I believe. Opinion, but it's by a contributing columnist. The title is Trudeau's Plan for the Internet. More patriotic propaganda, less choice for users. Several years ago, it's an opinion piece by J.J. McCullough, Global Opinions, contributing columnist, April 29, 2021, at 4.25 p.m. Eastern Time, The Washington Post. Several years ago, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau quipped that he sees Canada as the world's first post-national state. It's become an iconic catchphrase of his tenure, admired by liberals as a mantra of inclusivity mocked by conservatives as an admission of the vacuousness of progressivism. It's a fine debate to have, but in the context of Trudeau, it's also fairly pointless. Given the Prime Minister has never shown such interest in actually governing in a post-national way. His is, in fact, a quite explicitly nationalist government that has repeatedly shown itself happy to use the power of the state to push a particular notion of correct patriotic behavior. Trudeau's latest project, accordingly, seeks to dictate the sorts of online entertainment and information Canadians create and enjoy. In the name of the national good, his Liberal Party is pitching legislation that aims to ensure that Internet users in Canada consume explicitly Canadian TV shows, mus music, movies, and videos, even if that means limiting the choice of those with less parochial tastes. Bill C-10 will thus place streaming services such as Netflix, Spotify, and YouTube under federal authority for the first time, forcing them to comply with the Trudeau Liberals' objectives of promoting Canadian culture, as they understand it. Reflecting the increasingly differential nature of Parliament these days, C-10 grants the Canadian Radio, Television and Telecommunications Commission, the CRTC for short, sweeping grants the CRTC sweeping new powers to regulate and supervise the, in quotes, transmission or retransmission of programs over the Internet for reception by the public, end quote, and to trust the unelected body to hammer out the details later. The CRTC's own founding legislation obliges it to carry out its duties in a manner that will safeguard, enrich, and strengthen the cultural, political, social, and economic fabric of Canada. End quote. Well, C-10 adds it must now also, quote, serve the needs and interests of all Canadians, including Canadians from racialized communities and Canadians of diverse ethnocultural backgrounds, socioeconomic statuses, abilities and disabilities, sexual orientations, gender identities and expressions, and ages. And they must reflect their circumstances and aspirations, including equal rights, 
the linguistic duality and multicultural and multiracial nature of Canadian society and the special place of indigenous peoples within that society, end quote. In practice, the CRTC's pompous mandate has been understood to mean that any entity that broadcasts media to Canadians must also provide them with ample amounts of patriotic, quote, Canadian content, or CanCon in Ottawa jargon, thereby safeguarding the national soul, etc. It's easy to predict what will happen once its reach is expanded to the Internet, given the CRTC's decades of imposing heavy-handed demands on conventional media. It is thanks to the CRTC, for instance, that Canadian radio stations must, must ensure, and this is quote, must ensure that at least 35% of the popular music they broadcast each week is Canadian content. End quote. And that Canadian television stations must, quote, devote not less than 50% of the evening broadcast period to the broadcasting of Canadian programs. End quote. From there, things get even more absurd, as Ottawa is forced to come up with complex legalistic definitions of what exactly makes a song, TV show, or movie Canadian in the first place. This, in turn, produces foreseeable cynicism, like the creation of a rent-seeking class of mediocre CanCon producers whose lackluster content is guaranteed a public viability it wouldn't otherwise enjoy. Some game the system to a preposterous degree, exploiting bureaucratic loopholes that result in absurdities like movies filmed in Norwegian being declared Canadian. Imposing this regime on the Internet is uniquely regressive. However, given the amount of freedom Internet users ordinarily enjoy curating their own content experiences, streaming services such as Netflix, Spotify, and YouTube are not analogous to TV channels or radio stations because their content is distributed in a vastly less top-down way thereby robbing the CanCon lobby of its traditional, quote, no one could find us otherwise, end quote, defense of mandatory broadcast quotas. As law professor Michael Geist, one of the most outspoken critics of C10, has noted, if one desires CanCon in the 21st century, quote, users need do little more than put the term Canada in the search box, end quote. The dark secret, he adds, is that, quote, it is not regulation that drives access to Canadian content, but rather subscriber demand, end quote. And if demand remains low, it's hard to imagine busybody regulations that force providers to shove unimpressive CanCon at those who don't want it through rigged feeds on Netflix and YouTube being anything but deeply counterproductive to the purported aims of the exercise. 
Though Canada's parliament is closely divided, it seems the progressive parties will unite to get C-10 passed, thereby reflecting the triumph of a certain sort of lefty nationalism that has little problem pushing cultural chauvinism so long as it can be justified with rhetoric about fighting the evil American web giants or whatever. Theirs is an agenda of using state power to rob citizens of choice and foist nationalist propaganda upon them. It should be described, and it should be described as such. So why did I record an article about uh, freedom of speech or what was supposed to be something to defend Canadian identity? And as I will allude to or openly say, I guess it's my opinion, based on many other opinions and books and many decades of living as a Canadian, my opinion is this will risk the Canadian identity rather than protect it. What do I mean by that? <clears throat> well, the Canadian identity has always been kind of like um, the via negativo. The way that we defined who we are was by what we were not. So originally we were part of the British Commonwealth. So we defined ourselves as not like this other part of the Commonwealth, right? Not English and not Scottish and not wholly Irish or even Australian, New Zealand. I mean, we were, we were separate, like I said, via the via negativo, what we were not. And here we have a legislation that's going to limit Canadians' choices in media, but it's going to censor the internet even further said part of that article is we already have um, a, an infrastructure taking advantage of this forced Canadian content. All of us as Canadians know this. Television shows that no Canadian will watch. Um, bands that no Canadians are actually fans of. The only reason why they have a market is because they're the radio stations are forced to play 35% Canadian content, even if it isn't even talented music. Same as in the evening. 50% of the evening content needs to be Canadian, even if it is not worthy of, of being watched. Like, we all know this as Canadian, the junk that's on there, and this is only going to get worse. But I'm not talking about politics. I'm not talking about media access. As I've said before... Ten or more years ago, I said this directly. I was a major fan of the CBC, and I told them they needed to develop a streaming service because Canadians were moving away from Canadian content, not because of how bad a lot of it was. A lot of us still supported Canadian content, our news content and um, documentaries. A lot of this content was fabulous still. But we moved away from it because we had to consume it the way they wanted us to consume it, on old... Um, I could say vieille comme la monde technologie, right? This is an allusion to how the liberal government made fun and even called uh, the, the Parti Québécois leader uh, sexist because he, he called the uh, 
the language minister, vieux comme la monde. And all that means is it's old world, old world thinking. And once again, we have a bizarro world. Because in that situation, the Bloc Québec leader, Bloc Québécois leader, was calling the language minister old world, her thinking. But both of them were just wrong. But in actuality, it's the Bloc Québécois who should have been said, no, dude, you're the one with the old world thinking. He wants to protect um, the Quebec language, which is admirable. But his idea is the same idea as this. And it's been proven to be ineffective. So what Quebec has done for 20, 30 plus years is they will mandate French only, no English. And you'll see how ridiculous this is because you go to Quebec and it's almost like, it's almost like a militant uh, uh, concentration camp where if you dare to speak uh, the words that are forbidden. But if you go and look in France, France has no problem using English words. It's the idea is to get your message across, to communicate. So the same thing happened here when he's calling the language minister, vieux comme la monde, or vieux comme la monde. Sorry, she was, she was a, a lady uh, minister. So vieux comme, vieux comme la monde. They said he was being sexist, when in reality, he was actually accusing her of what he was guilty of. Same thing happened when um, the bloc leader, again, this is because they're taking advantage of we don't have proper media coverage. There isn't enough people who speak both French and English who can vet these people who are just pulling a con on the Canadian people. So the Bloc Québec uh, leader um, asked, is it smart to add someone who ran a known uh, anti-Semitic and supporter of terrorist organizations, a gentleman who ran an organization that was um, listed by a Canadian Supreme Court justice as supporting terrorist organizations and being anti-Semitic. This isn't an opinion. It's actually on, it's even in Wikipedia. It is that well known. So the Bloc Québec leader was just suggesting, well, maybe this gentleman who ran an anti-Semitic organization who was also supporting terrorist organizations like Hezbollah, is it all, like, does it make sense to have him in your cabinet? He wasn't saying, is it wrong to have him as an MP? Which I would go so far as to say, I mean, should we have someone, an elected official who is a known anti-Semite and uh, a supporter of a terrorist organization that's responsible for killing people based on religious uh, uh, zealotry? It's a good question. But no, no, our prime minister actually called him con, con, con. So not only did he insult him with one of the worst insults in Canada, which, by the way, is absolutely against, I guess, the rules here in Canada. You're not allowed to insult. And in fact, recently, uh, the prime minister has even accused the conservatives of um, personal attacks. But this isn't a personal attack. Con-con means con is like dense, stupid. Con-con means you are beyond dense, stupid, like the height of dense and stupid. So he invented another insult for this gentleman and called him con, con, con. And this was reported on the news. It was literally word for word showing the ignorance of what is supposed to be a bilingual country. 
I mean, that should not be allowed. He should have been chastised, the prime minister, for insulting a fellow, fellow elected official. And it was never discussed that, yes, we have, as Canadians, in um, the caucus, so not just a member of parliament, not just a member of the leading party, but he's in the main inner circle. And he is a minister of, I think, infrastructure. And he ran an organization that was listed as anti-Semitic. He ran it and only stepped down from running it to run for this position in politics. Only three or four years ago, don't quote me on this, just before he got elected, maybe a year before, he stepped down to run because I guess he knew that this uh, new liberal party was looking for um, extremists, like, for example, the person pushing this Bill C-10. This is the same gentleman who went to university with Justin Trudeau, but then said, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to join Greenpeace because they're a great organization, and I'm going to climb the CN Tower. And that is going to be my claim to fame. Same as there's an organization of Buddhists in Northern California who still to this day, last night, they had a gentleman giving a speech. And what was he talking about? He's talking about a little bit about meditation and a little bit about a chapter in a sutta. It's maybe four paragraphs in the sutta. But his main point was to share anecdotes from his two-year-long bowing pilgrimage in Northern California. I'm sorry, what are you going to learn from just bowing for two years? And then it's 35 years. What sort of insights are we going to garner? What sort of insights? Just, I'm sorry, at this point, it's just con, con, con. It's just ridiculous, right? So what am I talking about here? I'm talking about the point. I mean, people are going to turn to someone like this with these ridiculous opinions or ideas or stories rather than looking at the reality. And what do I mean by this? A piece of legislation that's intended to protect, protect the Canadian identity and the Canadian people is actually going to not only impinge on our freedoms, but it is likely to strip us of our Canadian identity. And what I wrote was, being Canadian is not an isolated, legislated into being thing. Being Canadian is exactly what being, is exactly about being in the middle. Defining ourselves, what we are is precisely what we are not. We need media of a multicultural and authentic source to be able to define who we are as Canadians. Censoring and hiding culture will only deepen this divide we are all in and worsen this sense of ennui we feel as Canadians. It has always been a struggle to define, to define what is Canadian. This is what and who we are. This constant struggle and fight, but a love of who we are. Our ethos of welcoming, of being welcoming to all cultures and identities. That is who we are. That is Canadian. To artificially shut out any of these voices will only make us, as Canadians, less. Right? It'll denature us as a people. As I said before, we've always defined ourselves by what we're not, 
Canadian as an identity has always been an intangible or even a, an ephemeral, an ephemeral, an ephemeral, an ephemeral. Wow, I can't believe my, my lips would just make a, an unconscious, I know how to pronounce that word, but six o'clock in the morning. It's, it's an intangible thing, but it, it can be something that you feel like you can reach out and grab. That's the idea. So you feel like you can almost grab it, but it's just out of reach, right? It's this idea of something just on the tip of your tongue. That's the Canadian identity and always has been. This thing that we know what it is, and we almost can define it. We can almost reach out and grab it and touch it, but we just can't because it's not a tangible thing. It's, 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 it's what we're not, right? It's what we're not. You can look at Canadians when they move to almost any country. You'll see that they will try to, and this is what proves my point. You'll see a Canadian try to assimilate. But in the end, you'll see them, they'll either just accept the identity as a fact, or you'll see them um, go to an extreme. You'll see a number of Canadians who will actually, uh, who will actually start walking around. Like, I mean, how many actors and comedians in America, you'll see them walking around uh, in California with hockey, uh, hockey sweaters on. Some of them will wear uh, American teams, um, thinking that'll change anything. But dude, you're, you're walking around wearing a Canadian, uh, you're walking around wearing a hockey uh, jersey. I mean, that's, that's definitely Canadian, right? So that's about it. I thought I would share this. I'm practicing. I've mentioned this before to start doing it uh, as a video blog. Um, and uh, I'm going to try to expand outside of the Buddhist. Uh, again, the real reason what this podcast was just for my own. <sighs> I'm severely dyslexic. So um, I've always learned by hearing. So for me, initially, I thought it would help myself be able to really parse some of these ideas, these thoughts. I've been a Buddhist for well over 30 years. I discovered it when I was young. Um, my mother told me she was going to send me to Catholic school, and their football team was atrocious. <laughs> uh, but my main thing is I wanted to stay with my friends. That was early French immersion, so uh, we stayed together from kindergarten. And, uh, and would all the way up to graduation of high school. So I didn't want that to end, obviously. But uh, I needed to prove why. Not football, obviously. <laughs> so being a, uh, a little smartass as I was, I uh, read the Bible. More than one, even. I read the Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita. I read the Dhammapada. Oh, jeez, I can't even remember everything. But I prepared myself to be able to answer just about any question, to give any examples necessary, but my main point was just to show that uh, it wasn't necessary to go to a Catholic school to be a good moral person. And uh, the byproduct of this, just wanting to be able to stay with my friends at 
the high school that they'd be going to, and I was really excited to play football, um, especially for that school, not the other school. <laughs> I wouldn't have been excited to play football for that Catholic school. I wasn't excited about the academics. I knew, I knew people that went to that school. Yeah. <laughs> I just had some really crazy memories come back. I apologize for that. But yeah, so that's where the uh, the podcast came in. So after, uh, what was it, 30-some years as a Buddhist, um, I had just come off, so we fast-forward to, what, about two years ago, maybe coming up on three years. I had uh, just come off of 10 years of suffering from a disease that nobody could figure out what it was. And when my doctor said he had... Um, used up all of our options for medication and protocols because, again, he was treating mostly the symptoms, not the disease. We didn't know what it was. Incredibly rare disease, incredibly difficult to uh, treat, and incurable. So, again, don't misunderstand. My doctor is amazing because when we figured it out together, we worked on it. But at this point, we hadn't quite figured it out. So I was I was having a hard time. Now, I wasn't suffering like I had been before because, yes, I was still in stage three of uh, one of the worst uh, diseases, supposedly. I even had to, yeah, neither here nor there. Hydrodenitis suppurativa. I was in stage three on the Hurley scale. So I was usually dealing with a dozen, sometimes more, spots that were giving me trouble, a number of them. I had three or four. Uh, sinus tracts, maybe even more, but I'm talking about that would give me trouble every single day. Uh, sinus tracts means there are a couple of uh, abscess spots that have actually uh, grown into each other. So they're a network of uh, tunnels and uh, and uh, abscesses, pain and, and discomfort, but uh, scar tissue and, and just uh, needing to be dealt with every day. So this was my life. I really didn't have much but chronic uh, pain and illness and the discomfort. You know, and uh, we're seeing this today with the pandemic. Uh, one of the most damaging things to the human psyche is a loss of hope. You can look at that with the uh, psychiatrist, Frankel, who uh, was put into concentration camps. And he found almost anything uh, if used as a device uh, for hope or even, you know, focus he found he was able to get through and that became the, the basis of his philosophy this idea of um hope and uh, you know neither here nor there we're not talking about uh, we're not talking about frankel but for me um yeah i don't know how i got through it all them years uh, i do equate to having had a more advanced uh, first aid training for you know my wound care, I hear that's what's caused a lot of other patients because I've had to go to the hospital for drain, draining and such. And, and that's what they always told me, that, you know, the amount of scar tissue that I had and I'd never developed MRSA or uh, anything worse. And, and having three uh, pilinodonal, I don't know how to pronounce them, but uh, they're, they're abscesses in, in the rear. Um, and they're risky. You can get blood infections. So it's tough to, to keep hope when uh, you might wake up the next day in even more pain than the day before. Or you just may not even have the energy. That's something people don't understand. Uh, fatigue and chronic pain 
um, are horrible things to deal with together. Um, because if you have energy and vitality and hope, you can handle just about anything. If you don't have energy or hope or um, strength, then chronic pain can be incredibly debilitating. Even a little bit of pain, right? So the two combined can be pretty rough. Right? So for me, I had spent a couple years at this point, um, I think, um, trying to heal this on my own. I was trying the food elimination, and I was trying things like my Jikung and the meditation, um, right? Because uh, as I said, I grew up with trauma and this chronic pain and fatigue, likely, I don't know for how long I've had the disease, but for a while, um, I had a difficult time sitting in meditation. So for me, what I used was um, Satisampajana, which is uh, mindfulness and clear comprehension brought to all of life's daily activities. So for me, that's how I navigated um, life even and so here I am in about 2008 and I'd almost lost um, hope and I started to see some benefits uh, I had fallen upon um, an autoimmune protocol that I adjusted to myself and I added in some other stuff and I'd really dialed it in I had found uh, an article talking about dairy and yeast and allergies at that point I hadn't discovered um, mast cell intolerance. Um, so I eliminated a number of foods. It was really difficult because there was very little left for me to eat. Um, but I was actually only dealing with a, a small fraction of the number of spots. And um, I had healed enough that I'd even been able to uh, go out a little bit more. The wife and I had begun to go out and I mean, her out was we would go to the thrift stores because that's honestly how we've shopped for a number of years. It's the only way we were able to afford both of us living on less than the poverty. Um, but happy, happy. We were very happy. 2018, um, I started to record my thoughts because I was hoping to maybe right, parse this stuff out, as I said. So the way I work is I think, right? But I'm better if I think out loud because thinking out loud requires me to organize my thoughts um, and doesn't allow it to bounce around as much. So I, I thought maybe if I were to, you know, think some of this stuff out, I could actually give myself a little direction, a little purpose, and honestly, maybe even, um, maybe even a little motivation. Right? And within about, I think it was... I don't know, not too long before um, before I'd started. Uh, I had a little bit of hope because we, we kind of figured out what the disease was, and I'll give you what happened. In 2018, um, I had finally given up on suffering with what I had. I have arthritis in my feet to the point where some days I, I can barely walk. I have arthritis in one of my hips so bad um, that sometimes I can't even lift my leg uh, to put on my sock. Sometimes the pain's so bad I can't sleep at night because there is no comfortable position that the hip doesn't throb. And so um, I was kind of having a, everything 
So my hip was all inflamed and my arthritis was uh, flaring up and I had a couple of abscesses that were so bad that I needed drained. In fact, I had one in my groin. It was my left side, um, right up uh, higher up by the pons there, um, right, right by your, your hip. And it was the size of a large softball. And I went in just to get it drained, uh, and I don't, I haven't done uh, opiates. Oh, I forgot to mention that. Hey, that's pretty apropos, ain't it? <laughs> yeah, I quit opiates after needing uh, to use them for, for a very, very long time. I'd used them probably for 10 years or more, and discovered that they really don't help anymore. They end up making things worse. So I'd actually gotten off the opiates. So, of course, going into the hospital, that's the first thing I'd tell them. I'm not interested in any of the medication. I also learned that how they use antibiotics for hydrogenitis is more harmful than good. Um, they're only supposed to prescribe it uh, as a, kind of like a prophylactic. Um, it's to, uh, there's certain kinds of antibiotics, if used at a lower uh, dose, actually have an anti-inflammatory action. So that's what they're supposed to be doing, giving a prescription for antibiotics, certain antibiotics at a lower dose, um, because it has an anti-inflammatory um, reaction or action, action on the body. So that uh, helps uh, with our healing. As I said, I had a softball size um, uh, abscess in my groin. So that was a combination of both sebum and fluid buildup. And then obviously as the swelling grows... Uh, that inflammation causes the surrounding tissue to inflame, and then it can even burst uh, capillaries, these small little blood vessels that can cause bruising, which can cause even more fluid buildup and even more inflammation. And so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, kind of like the mood disruption with hydrogenitis. Anxiety can breed depression, and depression can breed anxiety. I mean, it's, it's this crazy cycle. But we had just figured out what it was because that a uh, couple times in 2018 that I had to go into the hospital to have drained. One time I had a, a doctor that wasn't so bad. He seemed pretty good. He really wanted to help out. He had my hip uh, ultrasound and he had x-rays because it was pretty serious. He said he was really concerned about it, especially since I, I was in more pain because of the hip uh, than I was the softball-sized abscess in my groin. So I never realized it till now why he knew it was pretty bad. <laughs> I'm such a dumbass. Especially knowing that I was not on any pain medication whatsoever because I couldn't even take Advil at this point um, because of the microbiome upset. Um, so yeah, he was pretty cool. And he even got me a derm consult. But imagine, I'd spent an entire day in the hospital and, and I'm not just, it's not just my time. Same thing I'm dealing with now. My concern was, if I have to worry about MRSA as a patient with HS, then the less time I spend in a hospital, the better, right? Not to mention, before our current situation, um, I was always paranoid about picking up, picking up some sort of infection because I don't think I mentioned I'm also allergic to absolutely everything, <laughs> pretty much. So, um, yeah, so I hadn't even discovered... Uh, the allergy side yet. Um, and so I'm sit sitting in the hospital. Uh, I'd uh, done all of this run around. This is the second visit. I've come back and the doctor's like, yo, I'm going to take care of this. He gets me the derm consult and the derm, uh, the, 
the doctor mentioned uh, hydrodenitis just quickly in passing and then took off. I mean, as if to say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's HS. And then he's gone. Like, no at all. He's supposed to be specializing in this. This is one of the most rare skin diseases on the planet. And he just goes, oh, yeah, that's HS and buggers off. So, sadly, the doctor, I don't think, really knew. Um, because I asked him what it and he couldn't really tell me what it was. What he told me was not what I ended up hearing. Um, so I couldn't figure out what it was. Right? But I think maybe later in the day, the doctor, the dermatologist might have marked something down or the doctor might have asked the dermatologist because it must have appeared in my hospital file in, in my because thankfully there is that. That's what's going to save my life, is hopefully that all of this has been recorded for the last 30 years. Because um, I didn't go back to my doctor right away. Um, because I couldn't. I mean, we couldn't get to my doctor. He's in another city. But again, because I was taking control of this and not just suffering, usually I would sit with that abscess at home. I would just wait for it to drain. That's what I would do. I wouldn't be able to move. I wouldn't be able to walk. Could be a week. Could be a month. But no more. I sucked up the embarrassment. Imagine having some strange lady run an ultrasound all over your groin. I mean, it was just the amount of embarrassment that you just had to say, no, forget that garbage, right? So I hadn't been back to the doctor yet, but so that went well because, honestly, it was far less painful having her stick a couple of needles in that, that abscess and drain it. It was far less painful than, uh, than waiting for it to happen myself, right, or even encouraging it. Um, and so I went again, and I got this lovely uh, lady doctor. The reason why I mention it is because she's the one that, oh, she changed my life. She really did, and, and because... Um, She's the one that made sure to tell me what it was and made sure to understand how bad this was. This is not something that you just keep to yourself. She made me understand that this was horrible, that I had been dealing with for so long. This was not something that someone should be forced to deal with. And she told me what my disease was. I don't know if she read it in my file or if she knew what AHS was. But her kindness and her um, uh, just matter-of-factness, just explaining how horrible that was. And then for me, like I said, um, having this abscess on one side of my groin and over my hip and then my other hip being so sore and so painful. Right when, and I never really realized that. That I guess for most people, this big, giant, horrible abscess that brought them into the hospital should be incredibly painful. But when, when your other hip is far more painful, it, it you know I guess it's it's eye opening to them, especially for someone who refuses any pain medication and who really doesn't fuss that much when you're poking a big, giant needle. And remember, this is not a small needle. This is a giant gauge hypodermic so they could drain the blood and, and the sebum. So uh, so because of knowing what it was, I went home and I was able to look it up. didn't take me long. I had to use a combination of um, like 
what she told me it was because I don't pronounce it the way that they do. They're like a hydradenitis superity. I don't know how they pronounce it, but I had a hard time finding it because it, you know, I'm severely dyslexic. <laughs> I can't spell. I can't even read words. Everything that I read up at this point in 2018, everything I read had to be a word that I have memorized because um, just the sheer embarrassment of not being able to sound out a word or not being able to read um, in a, in a, in a you know, in a, in a proper fashion, in the speed necessary, I would just, you know, not read stuff, because I arguably couldn't, but if I had spent a couple minutes to read, you know, a couple paragraphs, I could read it, but that was something that I would skim over. So I spent a bunch of time with studying, and I did eventually find this disease, hydrogenitis, and I stumbled across some some treatments, right, dairy, and it took me a long time to get rid of the dairy, um, I thought butter would be okay, uh, started doing my own ghee, yeast, that was a problem, right, and then I discovered, uh, you know, uh, sorry, I was going to jump away from the HS, um, different foods also, nightshades, and, but then I discovered my allergies might have been contributing, so then I went down that hole and eventually discovered mast cell intolerance. And I have no point here, I guess. Yeah. I have no real point. I don't know how I got down this, but, uh, but yeah. I guess I ruined that. I just meant to share. But uh, it ended up being uh, just a share about me. So, my apologies. Have a great day. And uh, it's important what's going on in the world today. Um, we need to uh, parse. We need to uh, define the difference between people who say they're helping and people who are just helping themselves.